Hi, and welcome to the Ex-Meal Recruitment Podcast, where we share career advice for service leavers and veterans. I'm Rosie Vilecce, and I'm the Head of Marketing here at Ex-Meal Recruitment. Although I didn't serve myself, I'm an original military brat. My dad served in the Navy for 40 years, and my brother is on year 26 and counting. Throughout this podcast, I will be your hostess. I will interview guests, chat with the x team, and facilitate conversations that help veterans like you to get the jobs they truly want. Here's today's episode. It's a new episode of the x Recruitment Podcast. As always, I'm Rosie, and as always, I am not alone. Welcome, Gary. How are you doing? I'm good, Rosie. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me today. Great to have you here indeed. Thank you for accepting our invitation. So, Gary, let's get started with, well, the first question I ask to all of my guests. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Gary Riddell. I am a cyber threat intelligence professional for a number of large financial organizations since I've left the military. During my time in the military, I did four years in the Royal Navy as a communications specialist and then moved across to Army Intelligence for four years as well. All right, that's you in a nutshell. So cyber threat intelligence, that's uh, an interesting uh, industry, I would say, especially in these times. But before we dive into that and we explore a little bit more of it, tell me more about your transition. How was it? My transition was pretty straightforward, to be honest. Uh, I My first job was as a kidnap and ransom uh, sock center operator. So I was sitting in a barn in Henley-on-Thames for about nine months. I did this job and I was still with a bunch of ex-military people, but I was working for a big, massive global insurance company in their kidnap and ransom function. Um, So it was kind of like a halfway house between being in the military and then being fully in the civilian world. You know, you're, you're in the civilian world, you're wearing the civilian clothes, you're free, uh, but you're still working with a bunch, you know, everybody was ex-military. So there was a common language. We could banter the same way. And it was just a nice, you know, taster of what corporate would look like. Um, And then at the end of that, you know, that was 12-hour days, you know, four days on, three days off, shift work and stuff like that. At the end of that period of nine months, then I landed a role as a risk specialist within Nationwide Building Society, and that lasted for four years or so. So, yeah, I mean, it was a a nine-month transition, you could say, from leaving the military to really landing like a first full-on civilian role. Uh, But I enjoyed it. It didn't didn't really phase me too much. And what was the first civilian job? Well, yeah, that risk role within Nationwide. Um, Okay. And, you know, Nationwide's a big, I think they're the world's biggest building society. You know, they've got tens of thousands of employees and, um, you know, they're a systemically important company. So I learned loads in that that job. Yeah. And well, we always say, you know, in a way, resettlement starts the first day of service. How was it for you? Did you, in a way, anticipate that you were going to at one point leave? Did you have a plan of, okay, this is where I'm going to go with it? Or was it more that transit literally that transition of slowly getting into it? How it happened? I think um if we just look at my mil- forget the 
four years in the Navy, four years in the Army, just to yeah. talk about it, eight, eight years in total. It was, you know, probably the last two years of that, I sort of knew, like, I'm not going to do 22 years here. Um, and there were a number of things, technological things that I did bring in sort of new, at the time, new technology into the organization that I was working with within the military uh, that we'd never done before. Um, and, you know, there were a few bits of banter made around, oh, you can make a lot of money doing this in the civilian world, you know, it turns out you could. Uh, but you'd never you'd never do that if you just stay in the military. You know, your pay and your rank is stuck on a poster in the office for everybody to see. Everybody knows how it works. Um, and I don't know, I guess the allure of being freer and having more money, better lifestyle, more certainty around your day to day, building a family, all those things just seemed uh, smarter to me to try and do that in the civilian world and try and do that in the military world. I can't imagine having a family and then deploying to Afghanistan again. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things, of course, that become in a way a little bit easier uh, if you are in a in just a civilian life, let's say yeah. that way. Uh, yeah. What was it for you, if there was anything that you found quite challenging when you first left? Uh, looking back on it, it's at the time it seemed totally fine and easy, but looking back on it, I guess I would go back and, you know, if I could go back in time, whisper in my ear, uh, I'd probably tell myself to talk about the military less after leaving. Um, you know, you sort of cling to that as a bit of a, an identity, you know, that becomes yeah. your identity. I see, I even see people on LinkedIn, to this day who have been out of the military for years and they still have a photograph of them in all the the gear you know just let that go right like uh i think you can probably run into some problems if you bind your identity to that uniform and you know and then you're not there anymore um so yeah i would probably go back and uh tell myself to leave the military stories where they belong you know I can't imagine many people move from working in Tesco's to working in Sainsbury's and tell the Tesco's war stories, right? <laughs> I know it's not as juicy potentially, but like most military stuff isn't juicy either. It's like 1% of it is juicy. And still, you might be surprised by the Tesco stories. You never know. <laughs> yeah, but, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I do understand what you're talking about. And again, this is something that I think comes back a lot in all of our episodes in terms of identity, you know, that shift of identity that somebody needs to do at one point. So how long did it take you to shift the identity and say, you know, actually, I'm not that anymore. This is what I am. It's funny, you know, because um, I've got I got a two year old and a six month old kid. I've got like my dog tags hanging up here beside me just for sort of decoration in the office yeah. more than anything. But, you know, the kids obviously ask about what's that daddy oh daddy was in the army and there's a picture on the floor that i haven't i just i can't even figure out where i want to stick it because it's such a like sort of you know brown frame group photograph of us in in the army and all of our gear i'm like i don't really know where that belongs in the house like it's it's not <laughs> i don't want to throw it in the bin but at the same time i don't want to really stick it up somewhere i don't know it feels out of place maybe there's something in that um but yeah i I guess it's still part of my fundamental identity, you know, on a, on a you know, subconscious level. Deeper uh, level. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly call on it in my, not every day, but in my day-to-day, -day, you know, life as a 
cyber threat intel person, the reason why I am reasonably competent at what I do is because I have that, you know, military intel background. Um, so, you know, it, it's that that part of it's still there the, in the work. Um, really, my my job has been intelligence from day one, pretty much. And I'm still doing that. I've just changed scenarios, you know, different environments. Yeah, the different environment, indeed, a different setting, but still pretty much the same. And this leads me directly into the conversation around your job right now, the the sector that you're in. And again, one of the things that we often talk about is transferable skills. It seems that for you was a direct transfer, let's say, because as you said, it's still the same, but a very different environment, right? So was it just a very natural choice you found or was it also something that you were passionate about? I mean, I would suppose somebody probably would try and still do something that they're passionate about, but was it just because it was there in a way or was it something that by design you thought, you know, I actually really love this and I've got the skills for it? Well, so if we look at the, you know, time in the military doing the intelligence work and then now I do cyber threat intelligence, you got that bit in the middle where I'm, you know, doing risk work uh for almost five years um and you know that bit wasn't uh it wasn't really part of like any designed plan you know i i was sitting in the barn in henley on thames doing the kidnap stuff and then realized you know i can't keep this up this isn't gonna i'm not gonna be able to build the life that i want you know family and all that you know, stability uh if i'm doing this type of stuff all the time uh so you know I started looking at what things does an intelligence person from the military end up doing? What you know, business intelligence, you know, intelligence analysis roles. Started searching around for that, and then I sort of zoomed out and thought, you know, it's really risk management. This is about risk, isn't it? You know, you get the information and you process it, and it says, do we or don't we kick that door in? You know, mm-hmm. that's just risk management. It's no different than crossing the street or eating an unknown food that you've never eaten before we're all doing risk management. So then I saw this risk job and thought, oh, that might be a good fit. Did the interview, nailed it, got the job. And yeah, it was, it was good. You know, I, I learned loads. Now it was um, the, the whole cyber aspect of it. I'd always been into, you know, hacking uh, from a entertainment perspective, you know, movies from back in the nineties and stuff like that, like hackers, you know, uh, but when I was in school, I did computers, didn't really enjoy it that much because it was mostly about like the business side of computing rather than, you know, I think our, my exam for my A-levels was about how to deploy IT systems through like a shopping center, like Tesco's, yeah. you know, that I'm not interested in that. So I flunked that basically. Um, but I was interested in hacking, but there was no YouTube really back then. There was no virtual machines to learn. You know, it was a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that sort of stuck in there and then when i was in um the army i heard about this small group there was like five or six people somewhere that were doing hacking stuff and i managed to get on the phone to one of these people and they were a sergeant which was a couple of ranks above me and they said you know it's just for sergeants and above and that was years away for me so you know that was kind of it but by that stage there was enough things on YouTube and enough bits of technology where you could start to tinker. And that's when I sort of started tinkering. Uh, but it, but I sort of forgot about it for a little while. Once the civilian buzz started, I just, yeah. it, I just forgot again. 
one day uh, someone mentioned to be about about the Mr. Robot TV show, mm-hmm. which is all hacking. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really into this hacking stuff. And it, it all sort of all the inspiration came back. Then I went and got Security Plus. I did EJPT, which is like a junior pen testers course, which is also hands on. You don't just tick some boxes. You actually have to do the hacking. And then did my OSCP, which is a 48 hour exam. Yeah. So that's kind of that that journey where the sort of idea came from, you know, it had been there for a long time, but it just took a few things to happen for it all to, for the stars to align, you know. Yeah, to nurture it and actually get it to completion where it needed to be. And of course, I mean, you talked about how hacking at first, there wasn't a lot out there. I think also in general, hacking probably wasn't that big of a thing as it is right now. I mean, if we look yeah. at everything in our world, how it works, I mean, from people being hacked on Instagram, which is probably one of the simplest things you out there, to much more serious threats when it comes to cyber. It seems like in general, cybersecurity, it is such a huge theme, right? So I would say you're hot on the topic as it is with your hacking, right? But when people think about cybersecurity right now, cyber threats, you know, intelligence, all of that, I think that there's still a big association just with what you talked about pen testing. I think pen testing is the first thing that comes to mind. And people just think, oh yeah, this is what it is. That's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Oh yeah, I'm gonna become a pen tester. What do you say to that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's completely wrong. That's like that's like, you know, Metallica telling me that, you know, being a rock star is a hundred percent doing rock star stuff. It isn't, you know, yeah. it's five percent doing rock star stuff. And the rest of it is board meetings and press conferences yeah. that you don't want to be at because it's your kid's birthday, you know, and all the things. So yeah, pen testing is one tiny little slice. I would say it's probably the smaller slice, like one of the, the tip smallest. Of the iceberg. Yeah. Really. Um, it had it sort of had its heyday in that sort of in those early days where it was like the sexy thing. Uh, and when you get into cyber, you quickly realize that it actually isn't that sexy. <laughs> I would say if you want it to be sexy, stay in a nice little small consultancy somewhere where you just do pen testing and you just own companies every day. You just take them over. If you go to a big company, you're going to become part of a massive team with hundreds of people all across the world doing identity and access management, governance and risk and spreadsheets and powerpoints and emails you know there's going to be such a little part of your day will actually be doing cyber it'll mostly be trying to make people understand what's going on in an email (laughs) or in a word document or something like that sorry to break it to you now if you're on the front lines of it if you're doing SOC analyst work or incident response work you know that's more Mm hands-on again there's a lot of boredom in those roles. People just flipping tickets, as they call it. You see an incident comes in, you open the ticket, you mark it as a false positive, and you go and get a coffee. You know, yeah. there's going to be boredom in all of these roles, uh, but they all have their fun bits too. And you don't need to be technical for a lot of the cyber roles. You know, I've got a post that I put on LinkedIn every quarter to remind people that you do not need to be a coder slash programmer to do cyber work period unless you're going to go to work at crowdstrike to build mm-hmm. their antivirus software well that's different you know you're just building software then that's different to be in cyber and do the work 
there there is very very little coding there's a few circumstances where it might be handy but that really depends on the company you're in the tools you use the vendors you have supporting you you know so yeah don't think it's highly technical programming type work that you're going to be doing sometimes most of the time it won't be now that uh shattered the glass a little bit <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no. it's good that we're talking about it right because again i think that there are a lot of misconceptions around this reason why we do have these type of conversations with our guests right we do want the the reality the truth about the sectors that you guys are in and again you you touched a little bit upon the different skills the different aspects of these industries let's talk about the opportunities right what would you say are right now some of the hottest opportunities for people that maybe are even considering leaving you know they're not there yet but they're starting to to just come up with the idea of, you know, actually, I need to go and uh, leave this behind. What am I going to do now? What would you say is there for them? I think you would need to really pick two two or three roles that you're interested in, Max. And ideally, they would have some sort of overlapping qualities to them. So, um, you know, for example, you might want to be a, a pen tester. Or you might want to be on the red team. Those are two different roles, but they're very similar. You're, you know, you're attacking things, but they're they're packaged up a little bit differently when they're sold to customers. You know, um, or maybe you want to be in governance risk type, you know, GRC type space, um, which is you need to have technical understanding. You need to understand how the internet works, how these attacks work, and you know some of the technology mostly you need to know how to learn because you're never going to know everything um and if you try to know everything you will fail learning to learn is the number one skill frankly um and if you're interested in something like grc you might also be interested in maybe risk management roles within cyber or maybe even cyber threat intelligence because threat intelligence is one of the sort of more verbose report writing analytical type roles and you will often send your end products to people that work in risk or compliance and things like that so they're kind of close if someone was going to approach me about a job it would probably be a cti job or some sort of governance type job um just for a bit of context there no one's going to poach me to be you know a sock analyst right that's that'd be a bit weird for me to go from where i am to being a sock analyst Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to pick on one thing and then I'm going to go back to the opportunities and sure. everything else. But I love that you said you have to know how to learn, learning how to learn, basically, or learning to learn. And I really love that. And I just want you to just unpack that a little bit. And again, this might be just a misconception. But having worked now many years with XMail, you know, we've done a lot of interviews, not only with service leavers, vet- veterans, but also with clients that love to hire ex-servicemen and women. And I think one of the of the skills that I've picked on that clients love to highlight, and clearly we, we just go with it, <laughs> is, oh, you know, uh, veterans are adaptable, of course, yeah. And they can learn everything very fast because that's their default. Mm. 
And I think that there is a truth to it. Of course, not everybody will be like that. But in your experience, knowing also, you know, your colleagues, other people that might be veterans that are in the cyber industry, how much do you think it really matters if somebody has gotten in them to learn and to love learning? And how much is it really something that you do have to learn, as you said? I think it's massively important. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't know how to learn, period. Like, I wouldn't be talking with you. I, you know, I wouldn't be in this house. So because I Google my face off, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and YouTube searched my face off for years, I still do it every day. Every day I'm learning new things on the internet, Google, YouTube, ChatGPT, whatever it is. Um, that's a, that's a, superpower really because it's one thing to be spoon-fed like a little baby bird with your beak open it's another thing to stand back and look at another baby bird being spoon-fed and figure it out you know so i think it's very important to learn how to learn and i would say that military people are sort of conditioned to be able to just to be like sponges for i would maybe longer than normal people yeah just because throughout our whole careers, we just have to learn new weapon systems, new equipment. You know, there's just always something new to learn. And you're always taught it in a very sort of specific regimented way. Yeah, so I do think military people would be uh, better positioned or, you know, are well positioned for jobs like cyber jobs. We have to take on new things. I think it would be a real waste of talent for a military person to go into a role where they don't have to yeah. do those types of behaviors. Something, I don't know, working on a line where you're just being a little robot kind of job. And we talked about the opportunities, so let's go back to that. Talk to me about the challenges on the other side. Do you see any potential? I mean, clearly, again, we were just talking about, okay, veterans definitely are meant to be in this type of industry. We see the alignment. What are some of the challenges that you see instead connected either to the role or to the industry as a whole? I think in finance, for example, there's a lot of positivity around bringing military people in. A lot of the big banks, you know, they may be incentivized to take military people. I, I'm sure that's why. But, you know, opportunities and challenges wise, some of the biggest challenges that people in the military face getting into, say, a cyber civilian job. It's just really building up that proof that you actually are the best candidate for the role. Now, there's some maturity in the finance sector, for example, where they actively seek out people from the military to come into roles, and some of those end up being cyber roles, and that's great. Um, what I would say is make sure that your resume doesn't mention any military jargon and thing. No one's interested on how you win a firefight against the enemy. That's irrelevant. Unless you're going to go and work for a private military company, in which case it's incredibly relevant. Now, if I was going to leave the military and become a CTI analyst within Tetley's Tea Company, you know, the people who make tea, I would definitely leave on my resume that I make the best cup of tea in my unit. Because that is something that you can use in the interview. It'll make someone smile, maybe. It is relevant to that job. I would also then follow it up with all the proof that I'm qualified, et cetera. So some things will be relevant, keep them in, but all the stuff that's irrelevant, 
get it out. And in the military, we do so many different things. You know, my CV, if I send it to you, you would see a whole lot of bullet points and paragraphs around what I did in the military. That is a selection of things. You know, when I was in the Navy, you're a firefighter, a first aider, you're in the boarding team jumping out of helicopters. You know, there's so many different jobs that you can do and you do do as part of your one role as a communications guy. So uh, trying to, it feels like a waste. You kind of want to cling on to that because it's part of your identity, but you need to shake it. It's irrelevant how many times you slid down a helicopter's rope onto a boat. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, and actually we often talk about that. We do have our whole episode, you guys. I'm going to make sure to link it and uh, in the um, show notes for this episode. But we do have a whole episode. We have articles around how to make your CV, exactly talking about what Gary is saying, you know, be selective and how to choose that selection. So thank you so much, Gary, for touching upon that as well. We are pretty much at the end of this episode. And there is one question that I ask to all of my guests at this point, which is if you had just one tip, one message, one main yeah, message, that's what it is, for all of our listeners who are maybe going to the transition period, right? Or maybe they just came out and they're a little bit lost. They don't know what to do, but they're considering cybersecurity as a career. What would you say to them? What would you advise them? Drop me a message. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> though, you know, yeah, drop, I mean, you, I, I joke, but that's what I do, right? So, you know, add me on LinkedIn, you know, mention that you came through the podcast or whatever and drop me a DM and we'll have a chat. It's no problem. I've done this hundreds of times at this point. Um, other than that, I would say pay attention to chat GPT and learn how to use it because it is not perfect, but it is awesome. You know, you can feed it, learn how to prompt it. That's what you need to learn. You can feed it your CV. Hey, chat GPT, this is my current CV. I'm in the military. I want to get a job working the checkouts at Sainsbury's. Here's the job description. What should I make my CV look like? Bang. It'll do a better job than you will probably. So learn how to use chat GPT because it will serve you very well. You know what, Gary, I'm going to actually throw you like a curveball for a second over there now, because, you know, instead of that being the last question, I'm going to switch my last question just because <laughs> you did mention ChatGPT. Clearly, I often say, you guys, I'm a marketeer. That's what I do. I've been doing it for 12 years now. We have seen the evolution. ChatGPT Chat is just only, you know, like the, the, the new kid on the block. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're going through. And actually, I was invited to a conference around, you know, cybersecurity and all of that. And it was because, as you said, we do need to learn about all these things as they are just changing, you know, and, and coming our way. And actually about ChatGPT, and now I'm going to just leverage your knowledge of cybersecurity. But in this conference that, as I said, I was just attending, somebody said, let's stop feeding all this information into something like AI, because eventually being well, public out there and all of that. Um, one is going to start just regurgitate a lot of the same information to different people. Yes, I get it. Two, it can be um, a threat, I guess. That's how they described it, you know, in terms of privacy. What is your stand from your cybersecurity experience? This is going to be the last question, you guys. I don't <laughs> care. I just like changed <laughs> slightly the podcast uh, format here. <laughs> Let's go for it. 
my answer is yes, <laughs> because it is a threat, but it's also a benefit. It's like a, it's like a knife. You can slice a steak with a knife and have a lovely meal, or I can stab someone. ChatGPT is no different. And yeah, I get the whole feeding it and it reinforcing stereotypes and racism, all those types of things. I, I understand all that. But sometimes it's right. You know, my wife and I, we were looking at doing tax returns. We were trying to Google the answer and Google just gives you the results of all, you know, all the, all the pages and you have to click and then read. And then I don't know if it's right. I just asked ChatGPT and it was bang on because I checked with an accountant. So, you know, there's pros and cons, but you're going to have to learn it anyway, because this is part of our world now. So we're going to have to suck it up and see what happens at the end. Um, but I like it. I mean, I use it all the time. I've got a window open with ChatGPT on it, and I just use it as like a, like a guide, like a mentor, like a better Google, you know? That's kind of what I take away from it. But I always check what it's telling me I yeah. don't just take it you know blindly yeah thank you thank you for that see we also had a little bit of a conversation around AI <laughs> with somebody that does work in cybersecurity. so there you have it you guys thank you so much Gary for being with me today for playing full on for this episode I really appreciate it um, how can people connect with you you clearly already mentioned your LinkedIn profile we will definitely link it but more how can they connect yeah I mean LinkedIn is kind of my hub um and I do respond to everybody that messages me on there. I'm also on YouTube. I've got a website, uh, but all those links are, you know, available on LinkedIn. Uh, I do a weekly cyber newsletter. So if you're interested in getting into cybersecurity, that newsletter, come and join it. It's free. There's 3,000 people in there at the minute. So it's a growing community. Great. Thank you so much then, Gary. We will make we'll make sure that everybody can just click on those links, connect with you. And again, thank you for being with me today for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, listeners, see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And hey, remember to subscribe to our podcast, never miss any new releases, and to share it with other veterans within your community. If you want to connect with the XMail team, please visit our website, www.ex-mil.co.uk, or you can just connect with us on our LinkedIn page. Thank you so much, and see you next time.